Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorum and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, especially as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We'll be reviewing various works from the famed Appendix N, as termed by the revered Gary Gygax, and helping you prepare to serve them at your DCC RPG table. Tonight, we're actually reviewing a proto-Appendix N piece from the period, but not from the list. But I'm going to leave my co-host to explain that. First up, of course, we have the one, the only bacon wizard, David Beatty. Good evening, Podites. And, of course, the show is not complete without Judge Jen. Hey, guys. So, Judge Jen, you picked this non-Appendix N piece for an Appendix N podcast. <laughs> Why don't you explain it? It was on the same shelf in my defense. <laughs> in, in deference to the hardcore Appendix N fans, uh, it was published around the same time as some of the other works we're going to be reviewing for the show, such as uh, Zelazny. Yeah, it's true. It's from the same year as Eye of Cat, which we're reviewing for next show. It was on the same shelf and by the same publishers. Give me a break. And it actually turned out to be a lot more fun than expected. So our selection for this episode is Song of Sorcery by Elizabeth Scarborough. And just a little recap for everyone here. Colin Songsmith sings a song to an old witch who takes an unlikely revenge. The witch's granddaughter rescues him from the dire threat of being eaten alive by the cat. She hears the song, which happens to concern her recently married sister and a gypsy. Convinced that she has to save her sister, she takes the minstrel, the cat, and her magical resources to Rowan Castle. The story is rich with descriptive details of setting and encounters with magical and fantastic creatures such as a talking cat, a lovesick dragon, and a bear prince. Well done. Yes, good. <laughs> I can read, see? <laughs> I walked away from this book feeling so good inside. It was just it was a happy tale for me. See, and I... I had mixed feelings. I walked away from the first chapter going, God, do we really want to do this book? <laughs> See, and the first chapter is what completely hooked me because even though it's set in kind of the traditional medieval fantasy setting, the language use and the fact that Sacagawea is name-dropped gave it, for me, a very rustic Americana feel. So it put me to mind immediately of like a precursor to Granny Weatherwax from the Discworld series and it was something that I felt could easily be taking place in the Shutter Mountains. So to me, the whole thing just rolled along real nicely. I did like the treatment of the hearth magic. It was both serious and lighthearted. The book overall I felt was a little watership down um, but it 
did have a couple of nice plot twists. Yeah, it, it kind of took me back to when I was a, a teen. You guys, did you ever read any of the Piers Anthony's books? I read a few of the Xanth books. Yeah, it kind of took me back a little bit to that for some reason, but it wasn't a, a big scary book for me. You know, we went from Elric to this, and to me it was just something... It's a huge change of pace. I wanted to get my cat and put her in my lap and read it to her. It was a little bit more nostalgic, maybe, for the books that we used to read when we were first getting into fantasy literature. Yeah. Well, and this this really is more of a fantasy story than a sword and sorcery story. Uh, it certainly doesn't have that sword and sorcery feel like Elric does or Conan. Yeah. It more reminds me of the Circle of Light series with talking animals. I mean, Ching, the cat, is sort of really the secret hero to the story. He has the best moments, like when he goes riding by atop a killer whale, just sitting on top (laughs) while everyone's swimming for their lives, and he just rides by. So it's certainly a very different feel, but there's so much that can be pulled from this and dropped into a game. Well, we also have things that are similar to the sword and sorcery Uh, stories, though. You've got the mystical swords, but they all have names. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true, but that's more fantasy. Sword and Sorcery is very specifically a genre name that was created to describe the works of Robert E. Howard for the Conan stories. Ah. And so this is definitely more of a light fantasy. There's a number of authors that have done works like this, and they tend to be fun, but it's not a dark, gritty feel. Yeah. I like how you said light fantasy. I think that's a good way to put it, because if I had a kid and I was going to read a book to them and I wanted to introduce them to the fantasy genre, this would be a good pick, I think, for that kind of oh, certainly. thing. That's true. The, the lack of the gritty atmosphere, I think, is what really transformed it into, yeah, the, the light fantasy is a good word well, for Well, and it. honestly, with the number of people that are playing DCC with their children or their kids' friends and younger groups, if these kids are starting to show interest in reading fantasy, this would be a great book for them. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's not overly dark. It's not incredibly threatening. There's not a huge amount of sexual content. This is a great book for anybody that just wants something nice that has a good story and is a lot of fun. You could also very easily take this book and turn it into, whether it be a zero-level funnel. I mean, you could turn this book into an adventure for your children, and I think they would get a huge kick out of it. Easily, easily. With the things that you've got, you could stat up a siren or the giant black swans that were the familiar of the evil sorcerer that he would saddle and ride, or the creeping willow trees... There's potentials for classes, like the witch class, or you could use the bard class from Crawl. Mm-hmm. Yes, Crawl also did a gnome class, because we run into those. Very true, although I think Mr. Beatty is going to provide us with a wholly different take on the gnome inspired directly by this yeah. book. Could be a red cap in our fanzine uh, for this episode. Yeah, I look forward to that a lot. Yeah, so there's just there's <laughs> so much cool stuff that you can draw to to drop into a table. And like you mentioned, yeah, there's magic swords, there's spells, there's encounters with gypsies. There's so many things you can use here. I really loved the magic metal mirror that required charges. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It had to be charged up before it could be used, and even then it revealed what the holder desired to see 
not exactly what she stated she well, wanted now, to say. I thought in the book when that happened, because she thought she'd used it three times and she hadn't, I thought the one time that didn't use a charge, it was because the villain was kind of sending something her way. Because the last charge, she thought it was dead, and she was using it to communicate. Um, they never fully explained See, my that. My versus yours. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> they also just mentioned him briefly, but one that stuck with me was Finbar the Fireproof. He was made dragonproof by swallowing flaming swords and reached premature infirmity at age 86. Yeah, I really... I... <laughs> So, like, I, I like this character. I want to know more uh, about I, him. I liked that line, and again, that he was prematurely infirm at 86 sort of reminded me of, you know, the old folks living up in the hills and the haulers, and, you know, he's 95, he's starting to slow down. And again, that was just one more thing that <laughs> screamed chain coffin at me as I was looking at stuff. Yeah. I really liked their treatment of the hearth magic in being yeah. a different type of magic altogether when the main character was mending her boots. It describes them as they kept getting thinner Because she was time. stretching materials. Like when she went to feed the dragon, she stretched the piece of venison to be the size of a deer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of neat effects like that. And it's not just cleaning and starting the hearth fire. And she was able to use the spell for starting the hearth fire to rekindle the fire of a dragon. Yeah, so the, the hearth magic, it was kind of when the book first started, I think it was... I don't know. I think I don't know what you guys thought when she when she was doing these simple little spells to clean the uh, castle and uh, prepare meals. I was like, this is boring, but it seems like that was part of the plan because she started finding really cool ways to use this magic, like to put out the fire in the belly of the dragon so that it couldn't breathe flames. Um, the hearth magic actually turned out to be a pretty cool little spell. So if you've got a player at your table who's complaining that they've got a spell that they're never going to use, they don't like it. Have them read this book and tell them to. Get off their exactly. butts and be creative with it. <laughs> We've had a player use Featherfall in combat, so really, yeah, there's no limit there. Uh, yeah. And the witch class I thought was pretty cool, because most of the time it seems like witches are portrayed as evil and they're the bad guys, but in this it seemed like they were more widely accepted. And they were kind of the line. traditional, they were more like the traditional wise woman sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Which fits into your Shutter Mountain, I think. That it, that kind of reminds me. Really does. Shutter I mean, there's other. Uh, there's certainly brought brought to mind other modules, but the overall feel is like Michael Curtis could turn this into something really fun. <laughs> uh, or Daniel Bishop, true. to his credit. There, there's a lot of similarities in their styles that I'm. As I was digging through, trying to pinpoint specifics, there were a lot of corollaries. Well, speaking of Michael Curtis, you guys may or may not remember uh, our fateful meeting at GaryCon when we sat down to play in uh, one of the playtestings for Mr. Curtis, and I believe it was uh, Mr. Brinkman who was turned into a talking bear, right? I was a talking turtle. Ah, oh, turtle. I thought it was a oh, bear. Oh, that's uh, right. The fantastic I was the talking turtle that used my horse at full speed, launched myself into the air, shell first, and mighty deeded my way through the door of the windmill. I, nope, I got, we don't I got, remember any of it. it was I guess a Bob that I get confused because I always see Bob as just this lovely teddy bear, so that must be where that came from. So now that we're talking about stuffed animals, <laughs> how about we talk about some props and audio suggestions? Good idea. 
What do you have for us, David? Well, uh, there was a heavy gypsy theme in certain oh, very parts much of the so. story. So I've chimed in on Spotify before. It's a free service. You can also pay for it, but it is free if you stream it by web. So if you do use Spotify, I'm sure that you could use iTunes as well. There is an abundance of gypsy music that you can find that would kind of give you a good theme for the background while you were, if you were dealing with some gypsies in your games. Oh, um, nice. There's also a soundtrack that is by a group called Arcadia, which is on Spotify as well. And the name of the CD in particular is Stupor Mundi. And it's just a really good generic background track that you could probably match up to a lot of encounters in your games. Whether you're trying to emulate the feel for the book we're doing tonight or one of your other adventures that may be homebrew. Do you think you could put together a short Spotify playlist, some good gypsy music for folks that we could link to? Of course I can. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. How about you guys? Do you have anything for props? Um, you could always do a waterlogged oh. violin. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> as sad as that is. <laughs> I was thinking the song they use, the Ballad of Davy, is based on varying versions of a traditional song, the Gypsy Rover and things like that. Yeah. Gypsy Rover, Gypsy yeah, Davy. Yeah, so you could easily... Raggle Taggle Gypsy, yeah. <laughs> ...play any one of those songs in the background. Maybe uh, I'll, I'll provide a link of, of our own to something similar. And you know, if you have yeah. if you have instrumental musical talent, you just strum a little guitar. Take that moment while you're giving someone a description. Just stop and, and play a little bit. Because Colin the Bard certainly is an integral portion, and his waterlogged violin and his guitar, which is certainly not a medieval instrument, really <laughs> I think play a decent role. And I think that captures some of the ambience. Yeah, and that ballad plays such a vital role all throughout the book. So I think it's pretty pretty much the reason for the book. Then, of course, there's the fact that they use a spell to imprison, essentially, the emotional soul or the, the heart of Davy into this prism. And you could always have a prism out on the table or uh, put it in a small box and have the players discover it. That yeah. sort of thing is, is always great. And very easy to very come Very easy to come by and not really expensive. So if you like decent little props, that wouldn't be a bad one. And see, throughout the reading of the book, I was so convinced that the ballad of Davy or his mother had something to do with the spell that had to be you know, fixed, for lack of better words. <laughs> and neither of these no, things were just, true. It was just a hurtful song filled with gossip that, that <laughs> caused an elderly witch to rage and turn the bard into a bird. And then sick her cat on it. What an opening song. scene. Polymorph yeah. other followed by sicken. And, and that yeah. that again kind of brings me back to the, the modules that inspire this for me. I mean, anything in the Shutter Mountains, this fits. It's got that Americana feel, the dialect, the slang, musical instrument choices. It could easily be turned into a module in the Shutter Mountains. To be specific, there's actually one uh, mini-story in Tales of the Shutter Mountains, which is the Witchman of Darkweather mm-hmm. Mountain. It features a male witch with dietary restrictions, much like the villain in our story, who's as powerful as... Uncle Fearchar wants well, to and, be. And his magic was really neat in that his charm spell could be broken if people were ingesting salt. Yeah. Fearchar was a wannabe. Yeah, he, but he was a dangerous wannabe. He rode giant black swans. <laughs> um, so, so there that was that. Weird. For some reason, the emerald enchanter sort of jumped out to me. You know, the concept of all the emeralds that were being found, it seems like just this little thing that you could have the heart locked away, hidden inside an huh. emerald somewhere. 
Yeah. I thought of Treacherous Cob Traps came to mind, just because it, like this story, sort of starts as a simple little adventure. You're in the town, and there's something that needs to be taken care of, and it just has that homespun feel to me. And the Treacherous Cob Traps, that was from Brave Halfling, I believe. Yeah. How about Doom of the Savage Kings? Because I know that you had mentioned that to me by email, that that was something that kind of struck you. That one, yeah, because even just from the beginning, it starts out with the beast having a feeding schedule, and the Jarl was in charge of that. You've got that island that Fearchar was feeding one of the dragons by. Well, when you said that, that, that you mentioned Doom of Savage Kings, I had a really hard time kind of relating it. But once you said there's a, for folks that are listening, there's a dragon that has a regular scheduled feeding time. And so when you said the, it reminded me when you mentioned the actual creature in Doom of the Savage Kings, it's kind of a similar situation. So I was like, oh, little light bulb went off. Ding. Well, plus you have the Mad Widow who's seen spinning at, at her little wheel with a yeah. mottled cat familiar and... She's probably one of the most interesting NPCs I've ever had to run. Well, and not only that, <laughs> but in, in Doom of the Savage Kings, the way that Jarl behaves, because he's not really the sweetest of guys, it would almost be as if the villain of this book, Fearchar, had sort of won, but on a local scale. So this story and that module could easily be blended a little bit to give you... You know, read the book to get a little more background on what the Jarl's been up to before this. In a similar vein with the theme of a reclusive witch, uh, there's a trio of them in Trolls of Mistwood. Ooh. And also a child of mixed blood, which we have in the form of the uh, sister that Maggie goes to rescue. As well as yeah. Colin the Bard, who's par- apparently part siren. He was part siren, and Maggie's sister was part fairy, and that was really interesting, but I loved when Colin was talking to the siren, and she's like, you have siren blood in you, and he's looking at her going, you have the upper half of a woman, you have the lower half of a fish, I'm not, I'm not going to give this a lot of thought. (laughs) No, don't think about it too hard. It was really, Um. (laughs) I thought that was really cute. Well, wasn't it his being that he was part siren, I don't think he realized it, but there was a scene where they actually came under the influence of a siren, and, and could have very well crashed the ship, but I think it was because he was part siren that they may or may not have avoided certain disasters. Right, he was able to to shake it off, and he was able to help the others. A little bit of ancestral immunity, yeah. Yeah. But I love how that siren sounded different to everybody who heard her. Yeah, she sounded like their loved ones calling to them. And that Mm -hmm. sort of reminded me of uh, a sequence, and I really can't go into too much detail because the module's brand new, but it reminded me of a sequence from the playtest of Theater of the Hammed, which is a really great adventure. I, I, and it also has that fairy tale atmosphere. It does have a fairy tale atmosphere, and I cannot I cannot recommend the adventure strongly enough. It was great fun to play. We got a number of sessions out of it when, when we were playing it, but it has sort of that same feel, the, the fairy tale feel. You can play that story to really make it dark, but it's not written that way. It's written fairy tale, light fantasy dark. Who was this written by? Was it Clint that Clint? was uh, yes. Clint Bohati. Clint and there's, I don't think this gives too much away, there's a series of handouts that some of them are found at key places and some of them are just kind of hidden. You have to look for them. But in the end, they all tell a story. 
Well, you guys have me interested. I'm gonna have to pick this up. Yeah, it's up your alley, I would say. Is it? Is it still in playtest? Because I remember. No, it just got released. Okay. In fact, we got our uh, our promo copy of it for running the playtest just a, a week or two ago, and and it's it's, it's his second adventure. His first was Cast Tower of the Blood Moon Rises. Uh, his publishing imprint is Order of the Quill Adventures. And we, oh, cool. Well, congratulations on that second release. Look at you, yeah, Mr. We've got, we have the first adventure. <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to sit down and read it yet. We picked it up at Gen Con at the uh, Goodman booth with oh, all right. the third-party yeah. stuff. But yeah. It's probably still at the stack, but unfortunately. boy, after <laughs> Theater of the Hammed, I really, really want to get a chance to sink my teeth into his first adventure. It was it was different. It was yeah. very fresh in a lot of ways, and it it does. It could easily tie into to this adventure. And if anybody's interested in running it, I had a party ranging from first through fifth levels, yes. sixth at the end. Uh, so it, <laughs> it, it it's was, not meant for sixth level it, characters. It's easily but... no, but in in the scheme of it, I think it's geared for fourth. And it's easily adjustable on the fly. Another one that came to mind, not for the sirens, amazingly enough, was The Mermaids from Yuggoth by Daniel Bishop. It's one of the many stories inside the prison, or in the prison of the Squid Sorcerer. That one actually has a hedge mage who lorded over a town as though he were far more powerful than he was. So well, another that, yeah. obvious corollary there. And as an interesting little tidbit for you two here, um, it's a really great retroactive tie-in for the cask of Amontillado. Mm. Because Ooh. as time passes, more and more bottles of wine keep appearing. Well, you had me at Yuggoth, because I'm a Lovecraft fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it is Lovecraftian, but it also has that the feel of this book and it's a Lovecraftian fairy tale if you will very nice well and Daniel Bishop is really good at incorporating Appendix N into his materials I, it's kind of embarrassing oh, yeah. you know, for me the modules I'm familiar with are the modules that I've played since I just ran my first almost blue cover DCC game today I haven't read a lot of modules <laughs> and so it's like after every show Daniel Bishop is hey, you know, I've got something in one of these modules that's based on that as well, and I feel so bad because I haven't read the modules, and sure enough, you'll look, and there it is. <laughs> I mean, his stuff is so Appendix N, and yeah. it's really nice to see. And he's got a good selection out, Daniel's been around yes, for a while. Yes, he has. If you don't have any of the stuff from him, you really got to give it a look, because there's some really good stuff there. All right, Bob, if you're reading these, you're going to get dropped from my group. <sighs> and see, this is why I'll just continue to be embarrassed, because I want to play these... Uh, and I read so many that I have to actually go through the entire library of modules before each show to refresh my memory well, on because these. because th there's it's... a lot of good modules out there. Yeah. It's getting to be a big stack. Yeah. Yeah, and with <laughs> And with the new uh, fourth, I, fourth printing Kickstarter bringing so many new people into the community, you can bet that at least some of those people will end up creating content as well. Oh, yeah. And we're all about that. It's a mixed blessing. It's That's a all blessing, I'm blessing. We if, have we have an embarrassment of riches. So, our, to our beloved authors out there, if we have skipped your module, it's not because we haven't read your work. It's not necessarily because we don't know what's out there. It's just, holy crap, there's so many, and <laughs> <laughs> we we gotta try to remember what's in each one. Speaking of 
prolific authors. We've got Mr. Stroh writing Blades Against Death, which starts out with the tarot reading Gypsy Witch. Mm. Yeah. So, a nice double tie-in there. And one that really struck me was The Curse of the Kingspire. The Witch of Drakenvold in, in there has all sorts of familiars and critters who, you know, possibly eat offending intruders. <laughs> and just, that threw me back to the opening scene. Yeah, yeah, where, with the... Uh... Where the familiar's trying to yeah. eat the intruding And the minstrel. fact that Ching the cat, as a familiar, can talk to any animal and understand any animal, should he choose, was such a nice yeah. little feature. Well, and he normally didn't talk to Maggie, yeah, the, he was the main character. was temporary familiar. That was really interesting. Her grandmother <laughs> was able to imbue him with the power to be her familiar yeah, for the trip. Yeah, and that was something neat that might be fun to work out spell-wise somehow with a spell yeah. mechanic. Because you guys, I mean, you already mentioned it, the cat, Ching, is just a really cool presence all throughout the book and in some ways... He's the hero of the, the story. ...unsung hero. And, you know, the DCC community, it seems like we all love cats, so it just fits right in with all that. <laughs> I, I can't Touché. argue with you yeah. about that. And there's also, I think it was already mentioned, there's a gnome in the book, which is a, has a brief little appearance, but, you know, made an impact on me slightly. And there's, as we talked about, Colin, who's actually, he's got to be a bard. So keep in mind that Crawl Fanzine, uh, issue number six, has actually got a bard class in it, as well as a gnome. So if you guys kind of read through and you get the itch for something new to throw into the game, you could always pick up Crawl number six and check that out. Very much so. As well as your red cap gnomes. Yes. Of course. Well, I think that's the end of my list of all the little ones, so that's yeah. going to bring us to our featured module, which we have our Bacon Wizard choosing mm. this week. <laughs> we have Prince Charming Reanimator by Daniel hey. J. Bishop. Speaking Speak of, Daniel of the J. devil Bishop. and another I one of his know. modules will drop from the sky. Um, I think the thing that pulled this together for us really was the classic fairy tale feel, right, David? Yeah. When I read the book, it just... I don't know. It, it gave me a completely different feel than everything else that we've read in previous shows. It was a little more lighthearted, even though there was danger and a lot of perils to be faced. It was still a different feel for it. And I think if you took this book and you turned it into a DCC adventure, I think you'd have to take it and twist it a little just to put a little more sinister in it. And that kind of reminded me of what Daniel has done with Prince Charming the Reanimator, which is actually one of the adventures that I've ran, and I thought it was really awesome. So I immediately thought back to that, because there are elements in the adventure. With the uh, the book, you're sending off Maggie, who is our Hearthcraft witch, going to check on her sister. Well, the adventure that Daniel wrote, you're kind of in the same way, going looking for a certain female, which I don't want to give away too much <laughs> of the uh, story and the adventure, but there's a lot of fairy tale feel to this adventure, and I think it was obviously Daniel set out to do that, so I think he did it very well, but there were a lot of other elements, I think, that it, in the adventure kind of took me back to some of the scenes in the book. I don't know if you guys caught any of that or not. Um, Well, you've got Prince Charming right off the bat, who's on a power trip, yeah. just like Uncle Fearchar. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and do you remember Fearchar's, uh, his massive room where he had all of these wonders and scrolls, of, of just innumerable scrolls and books and yeah. things like that? It reminded me of an encounter in 
Prince Charming, which is uh, you could possibly meet a ghost, and the ghost resides in this kind of a very similar area, which just has all kinds of oddities and wonders that you can mess around with, including, I believe there's a magical mirror in there, Jen. There are two magic mirrors that can be found in the entire module. Oh, okay. I found that. And there's a magic <laughs> and instrument. And if you make the ghost a headless ghost, it ties right back to the book. The headless ghost was exactly. a really neat moment, I thought, in the in the original book. Yes. Yeah, it was a very illuminating moment. That as well. And hey, in the book, you even get a party separation. It, it was kept pretty evenly with one human and one magical animal in both parties. Very <laughs> true, very true. That, the whole classic fairy tale moment of the prince who had sired a son, but then the gypsies were angry and had turned him into a bear and used him for bear baiting. Not just dancing bear, but the more sinister And that's side one of those of spots where shows. if you really, because in the book it still comes off kind of light. It's mentioned, but they don't really go into depth. But if you wanted to darken that up a little bit for DCC, it would be so easy to do. Oh yeah. And the horses keep getting stolen in both Silly adventurers just tie them up outside a dungeon and leave them there for a week. Yeah. Things happen. Like the group that I have regularly now, um, this was the very first adventure I ran at a local oh, cool. con, and they had just showed up to play, and we've kind of stuck together ever since. But there's, uh, uh, we did, uh, I think it was maybe in the Ulrich episode, we talked about, of course, Stormbringer and, and important swords. Well, there's a sword in this adventure that if I ever get a hold of Daniel, I'm probably going to throttle him because Kathy has this sword <laughs> and this shield, and it makes her nigh invulnerable. She's so stacked on the AC, but I always think about him whenever she's uh, running around killing things. Jen feels your pain because my dwarf has Thunderblade, and uh, yeah. I, by using an action, I can send out a shockwave to all enemies in like 50 feet doing sonic damage. And now I've got two action dice. So it's like, oh, look, small things. Whoop-bam, whoop-bam. Okay, moving on. Just, I, oh, hate, yeah. I hate that sword. I'm glad you feel my pain yeah. on that. Well, I, I was going to say, I, you probably curse Daniel Bishop as often as I curse Doug Kovacs when I have to try to recreate one of his maps. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed there's also some areas of foliage around the castle that prohibit entry, which mm-hmm. brought me to mind of oh, the yeah. trees around Lord Rowan's yeah. castle that made Maggie and all all of the family because Rowan Wood kept was was Ill. poisonous to witches, yeah. and the fire in the fireplace was hurting Maggie. Yeah, that was really neat. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. And there's also a creature that I'm not going to give away, but kind of along the same lines of the foliage, there's a creature that's kind of based on that that I just adored. I thought it was one of the more original creatures that I have, I guess, discovered by reading DCC and third-party products. I'm not going to give it away, though, Daniel, so... (laughs) And I gotta admit that this adventure, much like the book, the best part is that both of them avoid the classic romantic ending. Well, you can't have a twist on a fairy tale without removing the standard tropic end of a fairy tale. Yeah. yeah well, there's, there's a DCC twist at the end of this for sure. And and Prince Charming Reanimator, it really is a Lovecraftian fairy tale. In the name. Well, yeah, very <laughs> true. And there's a bonus patron in the, the uh, back of the adventure. So one of the uh, encounters that you have, you get to meet someone and if you want to uh, follow them around as a patron, um, Mr. Bishop has put that in the back for us. And oh, see, now true. I'm always going to see Prince Charming with the face of Jeffrey Combs. And uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that may ruin a couple Disney movies for me, but overall, I think it could be really cool. Yeah, 
But do you think uh, this will be an adventure to me? And there and again, I don't have kids uh, that I know of. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, nice. the, this okay, this adventure, <laughs> even though there's a, I think there's the DCC feel. There's the twisted sick side of it. There's some violence, but I don't know. This one has a little bit of the fairy tale thing going for it. So I would almost think that if you had a, a daughter, that this might be something kind of cool to sit them down with and you know maybe run your kids through it. I think they really would enjoy it. Uh, just kind of giving them that little bit of a fairy tale. Uh, well, and, and something to keep in mind. I mean, certainly as, as a child, I was probably a little more precocious than most. Uh, I, I, I was reading Shakespeare and Asimov when I was 10. But if you look at, if you look at some of the, the classic sci-fi fantasy stuff that people read, a lot of Robert Heinlein stuff was written for young boys. It ends up in adult, you know, the adult sci-fi fantasy section, but it was written for kids. And... I think that if you're not dumbing things down for kids, they'll really eat it up. Something can be kind of dark for kids. Read the original Grimm's fairy tales sometime. That's that's a real fairy tale, and those are plenty twisted without any help. And they're probably the original versions are truly DCC fairy tales. Yeah. So it's it's okay. I think I I don't think a, a little girl would have a problem with the adventure. I don't think little boys would have a problem with the adventure. You know, you come to gaming young and you embrace it and it's all good. Just, you know, keep an eye if they start getting uncomfortable. Adapt. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Great advice. So you guys should definitely try and pick up. I think this was probably the first in the series. If you like this adventure, I think Daniel has put out maybe uh, one additional, I think. Creeping Beauties of the Wood. Yeah. was next on the block. I'm not sure if it's been released or not. It has. I've, I've actually got it. I just oh, have good. it. Oh, good. It goes back to that thing you were talking about. The I, I, I got to pick it up now. See, so now we're going to yeah. get angry yeah. emails from Daniel saying, oh, I, I, I love the fact that you talked about my <laughs> modules. Would you, would you maybe read them sometime? We try. We try. <laughs> well, on that note uh, of feedback, uh, we have gotten a couple of emails we'd like to address these before we leave off on this show one of them comes from ryan he's a public school teacher whose 11 year old daughter and students approached him at the same time asking him to run an adventure awesome Uh, he did the fourth edition kickstarter and is working with free beta rules in the meantime welcome to the community ryan yes and he's here, here. obtained sailors on the Starless Sea as well as Nevin Pendlebrook's Perilous Pantry. Whew, uh-huh. I got through that one. You did. And he asks specifically, are there any modules you guys in particular might recommend for hooking younger gamers <laughs> as an introduction to the joy of using imagination in gaming and dying many oh, times? Yeah. Awesome. So, funny you should mention, yeah. there's this one called Prince Charming Reanimator. <laughs> Good choice. Um... Oh gosh, was yeah. it? What was? It was a brave halfling adventure you ran for us, Jen. The vile, the vile worm. worm. That is a fantastic, pretty tight adventure, but it was it was great. Certainly could die many times, um, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Portal under the stars is um, great as a as a funnel for dying many times, and is certainly replayable. Yeah. I would say Intrigue at the Court of Chaos. You might want to try that, Ryan, just for the simple reason. There are a lot of encounters where you can actually incorporate props. And that is something that I've always found when you have a new player. If you have some visual elements to your game, they're going to be pulled in that much deeper. And uh, Intrigue has a few instances, one of which 
You use clay. There's another where you could use food coloring into liquid uh, that simulates an encounter. So there's really a lot of cool things in that encounter that I think uh, kids might actually enjoy. So it's like cranium for uh, RPGs? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Definitely theater of the hand. Yeah. It's a little more advanced in the logic and reasoning. You've got to make that mentality leap. Yeah. So maybe not for eight-year-olds, but 11, 12 oh, yeah. should be good. And the one you picked up, Ryan, uh, Nebin Pendlebrooks, I've actually ran that, and I think that that's a good choice for kids as well. It's, it's got, even though there's a lot of danger in it, it's kind of got a light-heart, light-hearted feel kids to it like as well. Kids like danger. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, a good number of suggestions there. Uh, by the time you get through all of those, even with two different groups, they'll probably be level two, and mm-hmm. well, you'll need more suggestions. Uh, so hit us up! <laughs> um, and David, I have to tell you, uh, we actually got a note in an email from the Dark Master. For those who do not know, the Dark Master is Joseph Goodman. Yes, our patron. <laughs> we are supposed to tell Mr. Beatty that his idea of leaving out rotting meat for the odor during a game is both disgusting and brilliant. Uh, Much I'll like David himself. Uh, exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, so oh, so I I'll, re- I'll reply to that to Mr. Goodman. I'll probably bring a rotted steak to Gary Con with me uh, next year. So Good luck be- getting that through the TSA. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. If, if Joseph recognizes me as a, a actual existing on the planet, then I've done I, a good job. I think job. you've done a great job. I think you've done a great job. <laughs> Touche. Um, you know, I, I think that how, we can't really follow up rotting meat being both disgusting and brilliant. No. Uh, I think you it's can't time to leave. The dark, no, we can't talk the dark master. But, yeah, we, <laughs> I've got to say, the show is for the community. It's about the community. And we would really love to see what you create based on the books that we cover. You can always submit creations to us at The Hub, at Sanctum Media, or via social media. We're on G+. We tweet from the depths of the library, and we'll post them on the site with our previous show's material, and we'll get them into a uh, future issue of our episode companion, so we'll, we'll, we'll put it out there in our, our free zine. If you have a special road crew event coming up or convention game coming up, we'll s- let us know because we really want to help spread the word. Our website presence now, the, the compendiums are available from the website directly, or if you want to keep them in your online library, they're available unwatermarked from DriveThruRPG, so you can just grab them there as well. Yep. And they're free. You can't get no, better well, than free. Well, you can if we paid them, but hopefully we don't have to sink to that point. <laughs> but yeah, and, and we have you know, material. We've had, we've had guests that have provided material for us. So check them out. It's free. It's great to have extra stuff to bring to your table. And again, that's sanctum.media. Sanctum.media. And we hope that you've heard something in the show that inspires you. Thanks for listening. Jen, do you have any final words? We are humbled and we are at your service. And please don't hit us too hard if we haven't mentioned your specific module yet. Uh, we'll, we'll develop soft spots in our skulls like infants if they do. How about you, David? Any parting shots? I think I've still got my soft spot. It's my reset button. Good to know. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And just as Bob said, please get back with us with anything that you'd like to see. Uh, send us anything that you think would be really cool to throw into the uh, companion, and we'll see you next time. So until the Sanctum opens its doors once again, have a great night. Be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast.
Copyright 2015.